You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And, and uh, oh. this, yeah, this week we have a uh, very special guest. Uh, very excited. It's been a long time coming. Uh, we have Jeremy from the Cabal Corner podcast. What's going on, Jeremy? How you guys doing? Hey. Good. How you guys doing? Good. Oh, doing great. Uh, thanks for coming on again. I'm really pumped. Um, yeah, I was. Uh, Jeremy and I are kind of. Uh, I, I always say we're kindred spirits. We both started podcasting around the same time, and uh, we've crossed paths so many ways, but we haven't actually done a show together, so I was really excited to get him on for this episode. Yeah, I, I've been listening to you guys for a while, and you know, I really just really appreciate it. I, mean, I, I, I love the Twilight Zone as much as you guys. Mostly the, mostly the 80s uh, uh, series, but I, I love the, the original series as well. Very nice. Well, that was my next question: was uh, what kind of what's your history with the show? Um, I, I just like to get an idea of where everyone's coming from. Obviously, you like the '80s, but um, uh, was there anything that drew you to the show when you were a kid? Sure. Uh, wasn't the show first? Was the movie? Um, when I was probably eleven, and uh, my mom was a is a huge horror sci fi fan, and uh, she just kind of. We go to Blockbuster, or we had a place that was close to our, our, our house called, um, uh, it wasn't Hollywood Video, it was called Paradise Video, and we'd go there, and she'd kind of just point things out, like, hey, here's Dune, Dune's an awesome movie, here's this movie, pick this out, whatever, and she just like, Twilight Zone, so it's really great, you know, a great anthology, it's a show about it, so like, we watched that, and I, once it got to that, uh, that George Miller-directed uh, uh, segment with uh, John Lithgow, the, um, you know, the gremlin on the wing that terrified me. Yeah. And, uh, like, it still terrifies me now, actually. And, uh, I went back and watched the show, and, um, probably about, I don't know, seven, seven or eight years ago, I started watching, I, I watched the, all the 80s series. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I love them all, but the 80s series for me, I guess, is, um, I don't know, it's, it's very, it's a lot creepier. I don't know what it is, but it's, it feels very creepy to me. It's like, you know, get, William Freakin directing episodes and Wes Craven directing episodes and stuff. And it's, um, it's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. That hopefully one day we're going to get to the 80s series. <laughs> Cause, uh, I, I'm the least familiar within the twilight zone canon with that, uh, that particular, uh, reiteration of the show. So I'm, I'm excited to check it out, especially like you said, there's so many interesting people working on it. So yeah, it's, if there's, there's one, I think it's the first episode. It's got uh, Bruce Willis in it. It's directed by Wes Craven. It's, it's an awesome episode. Most of you can actually find on YouTube. If you can 
if, if you get a chance to get around to it. But they just released they just released the entire '80s uh, run on DVD just like a couple months ago. Oh, very nice. So yeah, so I, what we're not going to cover we're not going to cover the Kevin not Kevin sorry the um uh the 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 the, the CW one with um. With Ghost Dog, we're not going to do Forrest Whitaker's Forrest Twilight Whitaker? Zone. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> we're not going to do. Why did I say Elvis said Kevin Whitaker? Who Who the hell is Kevin Whitaker? I, like, I don't know who that is, but uh, yeah, he's like, my alter ego. He's the alter ego. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, you also he has, uh, he has one are eye. Pigeons on a rooftop and stuff too. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kevin, yeah. That's my day job. Kevin Whitaker just has a little weird eye, and that's all. We're just going to yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. And I, like the 80s one, that's the one I grew up watching too. And then you talk about the movie. And it's funny that you mentioned the, the, the Wing Walker because it's the segment before that, the good life with the kid that can change everything around his family. That's the thing that oh, gave terrifying. me nightmares as a kid. And, and I know Kevin and I have talked about watching that movie eventually. That's the segment yeah. that I'm the most like like anxious, as in not good anxious, coming to because that bugged me as a kid. <laughs> you got Dick Miller in there too. It's directed by Joe Dante. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's really great episode. Yeah, so I usually uh, let, when we have guests come on, I usually have uh, people pick the episodes, but uh, this time around, we're coming up, uh, I, we try and get people on for the, more of the infamous episodes, and I really wanted to get somebody on this, and I thought this one, uh, there'd be a lot to talk about, and it's the perfect one to have a guest on, because there's not much in way of cast and crew that we need to talk to uh, talk about, <laughs> and there's not much as far as story that we need to go through. So I think we can actually get like a really good conversation out of this thing. Um, so I'm this sorry. Is the, I didn't this is the first one I saw. Really? Oh wow! Oh, wow. Well, okay. that works Perfect. out even better then. <laughs> yeah, this is the this is the one I've, I actually mentioned it on a, uh, my old show a couple times, but this is the one that I first saw that actually like terror. It's the only one that really scared me back when I first started watching the 60s series i was like this one is i'm sorry terrifying so yeah <laughs> i mean I it, it is pretty scary it's fine no it, that's this this is an episode that um if right. uh if agnes moore had said a word it would be that word and uh it would uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um yeah so yeah I, so well that kind of answered my because i was gonna ask you if you had any history with this episode in uh particular so uh beat me to it so I guess we will jump into cast and crew well, then. Let me let me give the little bit of background first. People need to know the context of yeah. the episode. Sorry, I'm getting excited. Yeah, I right. Can't wait to get Just it. Just let me have my moment, please. <laughs> so, uh, th- this is season two, episode fifteen, "The Invaders," air date uh, January twenty seventh, nineteen sixty one. Um, number one song is still "Wonderland by Night" by Bert Comfort. Uh, number one film. This is a new one, and this is going to be with us for a while. One hundred and one Dalmatians is the number one yeah. film um that's you know people still like look back on that one fondly and it's you know a, a very famous disney movie so get used to it we're going to talk about it often um <clears throat> the day before this on the 26th uh canada's uh you know uh savior wayne gretzky was born so i wanted to mention that oh. um and on this date the soviet submarine the s-80 with the crew of 68 vanished in the barren sea the wreckage of the S-80 was not discovered until more than seven years later. And there could be UFOs involved with that. We don't know. But that's what happened that yeah. day. I'm oh, wow. glad you brought that up because uh, I do have some stuff that might relate back to the Cold War with how I uh, interpreted this episode. So I also wrote down the thing about the submarine. 
But not Wayne Gretzky? I feel like that was, I don't know, that's not important. But you know. I, did, I did find that, but I couldn't find any connection between Wayne Gretzky and this episode. <laughs> that's, so. that's fair. <laughs> I mean, he uh, played. The hockey wait, wait, stick, wait, he would have taken these guys out. He played out of this world. That's what that, that's the connection right oh, there. Man. <laughs> All, right. All right. On that note, I'm going to jump into <laughs> cast and crew then. Um, so this episode was directed by uh, one of our favorite directors on the series, Douglas Hayes. And unfortunately, this is the last time he ever worked on the Twilight Zone. That's yeah, a bummer. Um, yeah, it, it seems like he was gearing up to maybe try and do some writing for the show or come back, but it just never panned out. And uh, unfortunately, this was the last episode he did. Well, I reviewed. I mean, yeah, I reviewed what he did. He didn't do like this is the guy I feel like would have been perfect to transition into films because he had an eye for how the story uh, should work visually, and he's did a lot of TV oh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, this, between this, After Hours, Howling Man, and Eye of the Beholder, like, those are probably my top four favorite looking episodes that we've covered so far. Didn't he direct Elegy uh, as well? Elegy as well, yeah, which was incredibly challenging, having a hundred extras standing completely still. (laughs) Yeah. And this one, you're right, this one is very challenging. How are you going to to do what we're about to talk about and make it... um, Tense and compelling. Yeah, and I know we've talked about it, but Buck Houghton always, uh, he always turned towards Douglas Hayes for the more difficult episodes when there was something uh, that he needed to accomplish that he didn't trust other directors <laughs> with. Yeah. So uh, he's got he's got quite a few there like this. Um, and then this episode is written by Richard Matheson. And uh, very similar plot to uh, a previous Richard Matheson. I don't want to say which one it is because uh, it might it might spoil the twist in this as of yet. So um, okay. we'll talk about that when we get there. And then uh, lastly, I want to mention that uh, another great score by Jerry Goldsmith oh, in this yeah. episode. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Really, really oh, good. Yeah. yeah. A few episodes ago, we covered... Uh, um, back there. Oh, my God. Yeah, back there. And uh, I... I, I was so so on the episode, but it was one of my favorite scores, and this one is definitely rivaling that one. Um, yeah, I got I, I Can I mention one thing about the score, about for uh, back there? Yeah, go for it. It it really it really um, you can really see the sort of uh, <clears throat> origin, like this egg sort of forming uh, for alien. Yeah, and that's core. It's it's great it's fun, very though. yeah. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> it's, it sounds very. You can see. You can hear it all developing right there in that score. It's a fantastic score for them. Yeah. What you still guys my didn't like, and still scares me every time it goes off. You didn't like the score yeah. for uh for the whole truth. You guys didn't like the music for that. You didn't like the 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 comedy horns <laughs> and uh, the. <laughs> It was fine. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about the that, whole truth. That's anymore. my uh, that's my <laughs> ringtone is is that 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 comedy horn. That's what I have on my phone. Um, <laughs> uh, when I when I go work for Stebman Used Auto, that's what that's what that's my comedy horn that I have. Anyway, <laughs> I got deep red. Mine. I got <laughs> oh, very nice. That, I used to have Suspiria. Man, when that thing went off in public, everyone oh, scares people about, every time. Yeah, it would, people would take about five steps away from you in all directions. <laughs> nice. They were from Rosso, They're just like, "What's going on with your with your butt? Your butt? Is yeah. That okay? Well, that's that's like the back there music. It goes off, and everyone just stops what they're doing. Like what's happening right now? <laughs> and then you go back in time and then make very little change to what's going on. 
That's why yeah, I, was, I was trying to explain to somebody how knocking on doors helps you travel through time, but nobody was fine. Oh, they'll, they won't cool, know. So. They need to know. They, they'll never. They'll they'll never accept the truth. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. I got I got off on a tangent here about the music. Yeah. Um, so the cast, a uh, huge cast in this. <laughs> uh, we have Agnes Moorhead, who uh, Paul brought up yesterday. A little fun fact. Um, that a day before we are currently recording this was her birthday. Yeah, December 6th. I didn't oh, realize wow. that. I, I looked at IMDb and I'm like, oh, well, that's convenient. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she plays the unnamed woman in this episode, who is the lone character, sort of, in this. Uh, she was most well known for her role on Bewitched as Endora, which was like the witch mother. The mother, yeah. And I guess... Uh, I guess you really did not like being no. known for that. <laughs> it's well, kind of depressing. Because before that, though, I read about her. She's really interesting that uh, she had yeah. this huge career in radio. Like, um, And the casting... Well, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't want to step on this if you have something you want to say about her uh, career. Well, no, you're probably going to say the same thing. Yeah, like, real interesting backstory and just how she was found to do this episode. Is yeah. Great. But, I mean, she was the person that... The, the go-to for the, the radio show Suspense, which we've talked about briefly on the show and i don't know much about it oh. that we know serling was a big time listener of suspense yeah, yeah and, i have a uh, couple of uh, audio tapes of suspense yeah and apparently douglas hayes listened and uh heard her on there and remembered her uh 15 years later and brought her on for this role yeah she, she was called the, the first lady of suspense because i guess she was able to just change her voice and inflection and become many different characters which is like I, I you know it it's one thing to be able to act and and project differently. It's another thing to act and project differently, like audibly. That is that is uh, amazing yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, she met uh, Orson Welles. Will do in that radio work, and her first starring role was uh, as she played the mother character in Citizen Kane. Yeah, like. What an incredible yeah. first role! <laughs> like, I mean, the bar set uh, kind of high, you know. Like, do you, do you, what do you do after Citizen Kane? Yeah, and it, it, it did her ever since. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's what I was gonna say. It took her a while to really find something uh, on that level, and she ended up getting nominated for Academy Award for uh, the Magnificent Amber Sons. So, like, she definitely did find her place, and she ended up doing a bunch of other stuff. Like, uh, I'm a big fan of how the West was won, just for the spectacle that it is. And uh, I figure we need to do our little Western plug here. So, of course, <laughs> um, just well, Kevin. Mine just... was uh, Dark Passage. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. First one uh, for me. And um, then, uh, what else did I find? Oh, yeah, she was also in that Conqueror movie with John Wayne that we oh, talked no. about. <laughs> where, yeah, where half think the it crew her? died of cancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah radiation been... poisoning. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Like... that's. Uh... It was punished for a terrible decision on casting, <laughs> right? Um, well, John I was going to say, me, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, Kevin, I saw that she is actually buried in Dayton, Ohio, so that's actually not too far away from us, and I think that might be one of those things that, you know, if you happen to be in the area, it might be good just to go kind of pay your respects, because she, she, the big thing about her being on Bewitched is that she was upset that she had this really well-known career before Bewitched, but that everyone just knew her because of Endora, and she kind of was mad about that, and it's like, I've done much better and bigger things in this role. Like recognize me for this, and people are just like, "Oh, you're yeah, my wife." Sorry, but no, please don't go ahead. 
my my wife reckon that's where she recognized it from was Bewitched. So, well, I mean, yeah, it, I mean, yeah. that, that's all I really knew until I started digging in. Um, that was really all I knew her from as well. So, I mean, <laughs> for better or worse, at least she had a role. You know, some people will die for roles like that. Um, sure. just to be remembered forever through something. So, I mean, take what you can get. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think she, I think she knew that she was better. She, she was capable of higher quality work than a sitcom. Yeah, like, sure. and I think that's what kind of bugged her was that, like, she knew, she knew she was way better than that character, even though it was a paycheck and notoriety. And like, and part of me, I can kind of agree with that, where it's like, really, you're going to be like, you know, the antagonist at a sitcom in which a genie like is the main character like that almost feels like it's it, in a way it's almost kind of like a backhanded compliment of like your talent and i can see why she was kind of like kind of kind of had a chip on her shoulder about it yeah for sure yeah, it's, it's kind of like an opposite effect of um <clears throat> geez i can't remember his name young frankenstein uh the guy that after he played the, the frankenstein character uh, peter, boyle. peter boyle yeah peter boyle is like you know he's in taxi he's in taxi driver he's in uh friends of eddie coyle and stuff and all of a sudden he's uh crazy, yeah, crazy joe yeah, he's yeah. an incredible genre actor as far as like crime films. And, yeah, uh, yeah, Joe's a really great movie, underrated. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, what, yeah, that, gotta, that's I, a great comparison. I thought Dream Team was a I, breakout I role. One, oh, sorry. No, I just, <laughs> no one remembers. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I, no, no, no. It's fine. I was just, I was just gonna make a joke about how I thought Peter Boyle's breakout role was Dream Team, but no one remembers that movie with uh, Michael Keaton. I do, Michael Keaton. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I, prophesize about Jesus and take my clothes off at the same time. That's what Peter Boyle was. It was amazing. Well, he was called the Wizard and Taxi Driver, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I had to mention one thing about the the score, though. Um, this might be a deep cut, but like there are there, there are certain um, cues, musical cues in this episode. That are straight ripped to um, a, a scene in Dumb and Dumber uh, with uh, you know with Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. And Jim Carrey's character's in the stall. And he sees that time like in the stall, like a meeting time or whatever. That yeah. weird, like sort of suspenseful tune kind of comes up. Um, yeah, I just huh. <laughs> I thought I mentioned that to you guys. I don't know. Yeah, where it's worth, I, but <clears throat> I haven't seen that in so long. I like. I, it. I mean, I have to. I'm gonna have to go back and find that scene just to see that now. It doesn't surprise yeah, me if the Ferrelli brothers actually, um, or the Farrelly brothers, however you pronounce it, if mm-hmm. they, if they, yeah. like, they're so, like, those first few movies they did, like, they, they were on point with that kind of stuff and kind of putting, putting their finger on what, like, the reference and the funny. That doesn't surprise me that they, that they would do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, me and Seabass in the, uh, <laughs> in the bathroom <laughs> stall. That music that in that cue comes up. He looked at his. Uh, Jim Carrey said his watch. He looks at the time that and he pops through the door, and it's like, "Hey, man, that's just exactly the same musical cue from the Invaders." All right, I like it. <laughs> that's funny. Um, Interesting. So there, there is one other cast member in this. We won't say who it is. We'll get to it later. Yeah, because uh, if, a, if you look away. at IMDb, it kind of spoils the twist at the end. And so I, I, don't, I don't even want to talk about it. And I kind of want to. I just want to say here, like I know normally we, you know, not that we want to spoil the episode, but I. I'll be honest, this was my first time watching this. Like I even though I knew what the end was, I had never seen this before. So I was taken aback at how how effective the episode was. So I don't want to rob this of um of anybody. If you've not watched this episode, please pause this, watch it and come back and then listen to how we're going to ruin it. 
but it's it's definitely. really really good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's I I haven't seen it in years, so it was basically a fresh watch for me. And uh yeah, but I can definitely appreciate it more having some background now and going through these episodes uh piece by piece. Um, yeah. So, you want to let uh, Serling take it away, and we'll Absolutely. jump into the plot here? Absolutely. This is one of the out-of-the-way places. The unvisited places. Bleak, wasted, dying. This is a farmhouse. Handmade, crude. A house without electricity or gas. A house untouched by progress. This is the woman who lives in the house. A woman who's been alone for many years. A strong, simple woman whose only problem up until this moment has been that of acquiring enough food to eat. A woman about to face terror, which is, even now, coming at her from the Twilight Zone. Really, really cool intro. Like, I really appreciated him stepping in yeah. uh, to the frame to, to talk about what was going on. Yeah, and I, I love as he, uh, as he kind of finishes up, he turns towards the action and turns towards the woman in the house. And it's almost like he's joining us as viewers to watch the story take place. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, that fly on the wall. But I think this is the best they've executed Serling being that fly on the wall where he kind of steps away and lets the story take over and he joins you as a viewer. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was really effective and very simple. You know, we like the little sight gags of him popping up, lowering the newspaper (laughs) and being in the frame and stuff. But for the tone of this episode, I think this simplistic, just step on set, turn, look towards the action, walk away was perfect. Well, and also it didn't cut to like a commercial break. Like it, it was just the story just started. And that's not what's been happening this season where like, you know, yeah. the story will go on for a couple Usually minutes. Usually it starts with yeah. that little bit of action and then we get the Serling intro. And this is just this dives right in. And like it was kind of refreshing because I know the season one was all him at the beginning. And this felt very much like that. You see the farmhouse and you hear him talking and, but then you see him on, you know, on camera with, with Agnes Moorhead behind him as she's preparing a meal of some sort. It was, it was really effective and a nice smooth entry into the episode. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out, um, cause some people are saying that Serling wrote this intro, but a lot of people think that Matheson may have actually written this one for him. Maybe. So I, I, I'm not sure if any of the books that you bought, Paul, uh, if they said <laughs> all my mini books that I have that uh, my my uh, like half foot tall stack of books here. Um, yeah. it, it um it doesn't speak to that. It does say that uh, Matheson wasn't happy overall with the episode. And we'll get to that at the end. I don't. Yeah. There was no documentation oh. Oh. about his uh, intro. Like he he thinks it's effective, but there's things that he didn't like about it, and we'll talk about that when we get to to that point. Yeah, yeah. So we got her. She's uh, very plain clothes, very, uh, very rundown, plain house that she's in. It's basically a barn, and uh, she's just cutting vegetables. And you get a shot, a close up of her picking the different knives, and she finally picks one that I assume would be the sharpest one. <laughs> and uh, at that point, she starts hearing this strange humming sound. She starts looking up towards the ceiling. And at that point, there's a loud crashing noise. The house shakes. She ends up falling towards the ground. And that's when you get the the Jared Goldsmith score comes in in full. And uh, you really start to get that atmosphere building up. 
Well, it's important, too, because the score begins before that point, and then whenever you hear the odd noise, which is in the intro of the sh- like beginning of the episode here, uh, our episode, not the Twilight. Well, I guess it's in that episode, too. Whatever. Um, you yeah. hear the music, and then all of a sudden, it just fades out as you hear this loud humming, and like there's chaos, and she's holding her head, and the whole like you know structure shakes, and she falls down. And I, I, you, you know me, like talking about these episodes, sometimes I get frustrated that I feel like they step on the emotion by just having music overpower it. This was a smart move to cut out and just let the, the sound of what was going on, which we don't know what it was, and her reaction just to sell it. And it was very, it was very modern. That's the way I can describe it. And it worked really well. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's interesting the choice. Uh, I'll just kind of put it out there now that there is no dialogue in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's absolutely zero, and I I think that's <laughs> a very brave decision at this time because I, I, I prob- love it. Yeah, th- there probably wasn't a lot of TV doing that uh, if it had <laughs> ever right. been done before. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot like, of radio we- doing it before that. I can tell you that. Yeah, there's no radio doing that. <laughs> um, we we joked about putting this episode out with all of us just silently sitting here for an hour and just making <laughs> random noises every once in a while. <laughs> uh, uh, splash, splash, splash. Uh, Morris no, I, I, <laughs> I think having her uh, never speak in this, because this gets to be a fairly unbelievable episode, but... I think it adds this level of believability by having her be silent because she is by herself. Like most people, I mean, I talk to myself occasionally when I'm by myself, you know. Um, I do quite a bit. Yeah, but I mean, for the most part, if you're alone, you're not really talking. So it it makes it a little bit more believable. And uh, like I say, it's just so brave. Like I can't imagine the producers being excited about this episode. (laughs) (laughs) But Agnes Moorhead is so She's so um, I'm trying to think of the word, the right word. She's raw. I mean, she's yeah, she's yeah. So, emotive. Yeah, like you get it's it. So realistic, like you know, you you know, she's popping the potatoes in her mouth and stuff, and it's like, yeah, anybody, everybody does that stuff. You know, you're cooking, you kind of take a piece from whatever you're cooking with, throw in your mouth, and like this kind of just chilling out for the night or whatever. And she just seems so casual, and she's she really feels like she belongs. In this place, yeah, she li- she's living in it. It's it, it, it feel- everything feels right. Um, so when the things start happening, it all feels for me at least feels very real. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, well, she yeah, you so can she tell. Up- I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. You no, can, go, go for you it. can always okay, tell on. what she's thinking by her face. You can always yeah, and that and that is that's a hell of a thing, right? Like I and so here's a bit of trivia. She actually trained under Marcel Marceau, which is like one of the most famous mimes, you know, ever. Oh. So she learned how to emote. And and so and, and another another bit of trivia, too, is that uh, her and uh, the director, Douglas Hayes, would, would rehearse for like three, four hours to kind of get what was going on and then shoot for like five, six minutes, which this episode's only like maybe 25 minutes at most. And, mm-hmm. and, and Hayes, he went on to say that, you know, he only turned in like maybe six strips of film for this episode when it was finished and we should speak to how if we're talking about this these are long takes that go on and she's at forefront of this and acting yeah. in front of it yeah. and it's um it's really amazing 
Yeah, well, I, I think having it all shot in, uh, I, I guess not in sequence necessarily, but in these long takes like that, uh, the thing kind of feels like it's moving in real time. It is in real time. Yeah, you're right. That's Agreed. a good point. Okay. Yeah, Agreed. so that's that's really impressive. Again, uh, bringing Douglas Hayes in for these <laughs> these kind of daring well, episodes like that. Great choice. <laughs> You'll be missed. I even, I even like the uh, foreshadowing of the knife being put into the slot. It's yes. a very cool foreshadowing yeah. of what might happen in the future. That's very, like, like you're saying, Paul, it's very, like, of this time, of this era. It's like, you know, it's very modern. Like, yes, you're foreshadowing, putting the knife in the slot. What's going to happen with the knife? You eventually find out what happens with the knife. It's, it's a very cool thing to do. And I like that's why this is one of my favorite episodes because it's, yeah. it's so even so even the camera like when um when she when she's um when she's going up to the the the, the ladder up to the rooftop and the camera slowly pans in upward to her it's such a cool shot great shot a lot of great lighting this episode as well yeah I, I love most of it's by candlelight uh well not not totally but you know. No, uh, it's no, supposed yeah. to be candlelight, but it it creates that it just so the atmosphere is so thick in this episode. I love it. Remind me so, later yeah. when we get to the end. There's what a tribute that? about the about the lighting. I, I don't want to tell it right now, but like I'll just I'll blow your guys' mind at the end of the episode when we talk about it. All right. So mm-hmm. as uh, as Jeremy was saying, uh, she starts climbing upstairs after she hears that noise, and she gets up there and turns a look, and there seems to be this UFO sitting on her roof. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> she goes to poke it with her foot and starts making a bunch of sounds and everything. And uh, she's examining it, and this little uh, little ramp lowers, and uh, she kind of jumps. It. She jumps <laughs> behind the uh, hatch that goes up to the roof, and you start hearing footsteps on the other side. And sure enough, around the hatch, this little robot thing comes around the corner, and uh, it's got little light bulb shocking thing i don't i don't actually know what the weapon was but it, <laughs> it looks like a christmas light that apparently shocks you so yeah. i don't know with a satellite uh, dish on its head yeah yeah, yeah so well she funny pushes that, it down the hatch it's funny you say that it walked over because like you don't see any of that like you see the little ramp come down you hear the footsteps you see some shadows coming down the ramp so you know something's coming and then when she yeah. turns she sees this thing this little squat, like tubby looking little, like, you know, thing that has, a, you know, like Christmas light full of Christmas cheer and it, it lights up and it, it makes a really loud noise and it, uh, it, it visibly hurts her. Like, that's that's one thing to point out, too, is that she is not yeah. she does not like it when this thing turns on. I like that. I, I like that kind of laser. It's like it's something that's obviously hap- happening like this sort of sonar sort of radiation yeah. sort of waves that's like hitting her from the inside and it's a very cool it's all it's just really cool to see that but you, you know you see a laser shoot out through the gun it's just like cheeks obviously feeling it but it's you know you can't it's not visible you can't see it yeah well it's smart because you know if they could have done a laser they probably would have you know like <laughs> yeah. if they would have had yeah, the money exactly. and time like they would have done it but uh matheson hayes serling uh the the producers like they came up with a solution and they figured out because the next scene she sees the second robot and pushes that one off the roof as well. <laughs> and uh, she climbs back downstairs and sees that the robot's gone. But she starts looking on her body and she's that there's little sores or little, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, lesions on her skin. 
And yeah. like that's such a smart way to show that they're using some sort of laser radiation or something as a weapon. You yeah. know, like it's it it maybe wouldn't have happened if they would have had the money to do special effects or mm-hmm. the ability to do it back then. So yeah, it's great. It, yeah. Yeah, the the makeup of the artist. The, I'm not sure who worked on it. Um, I couldn't find anywhere if it was the um, what's his name that was working oh, with yeah, all. Yeah, I of, didn't see that his name. The guy because he um, worked with yeah, Douglas yeah. Hayes on Eye of the Beholder yeah. and uh, um, uh, what was the other one? The uh, Howling Man as well. So I thought, I thought maybe it was him. It could be more than likely. Well, I like that. She before you see the spaceship on the rooftop, it's like half a beat. Before you even see that spaceship, it's yeah. it's a really lingering shot. It's it's a great shot. Yeah, because you see her looking around, and as she looks, the camera pans over like with her looking at it and being scared. So you see her reaction before you see the actual UFO. And that's the commercial break cool. too. That's the that's the end of the first uh, the first act of the episode. Is that it? Kind of ends yeah. on that real quickly without any within it without any fanfare. And then whenever like because we we have the luxury of watching it like on the internet. When it picks right back up, she's right there with it. And it's very like there's no big music cue for that. And it's very no. different for what we've seen so far in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, usually you have the music swell. You have uh, they'll reiterate what's going on when they come back. So it's like it's very noticeable. Yeah, <laughs> this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost yeah. missed. I almost missed both the commercial breaks in this. Like if you blink, <laughs> you miss it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so, when, so she, when she gets when she gets blasted by the, the lasers and she has the the, the uh, little blisters on her, which they still un- unnerved me. I know it was black and white, but it bothered me. Did she put soup on the blisters or was that water? Because she was over a whole pot full of potatoes water. earlier. Was it water? Because I was like, why would yeah, you put water. soup on that? Is that like the cure all? That felt kind of weird to me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, is, I <laughs> assumed it was water. It, just, it was just like it's a, it's a washing. Sort of washing pan or washing pot. I, 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 I kind of assumed because the first time I watched it, I was like, "Is she putting that potato soup on her lesions? Is that what happens?" It's like, "Oh, it's a blister. Better put some soup on it." I might have to try that. I just uh, raked. I got a bunch of blisters on my hand right now. Maybe I'll just go make some soup after this. Just, just pour it all just over go myself. Get some, go get some chunky vegetable soup and just be like, "Oh, this will fix it." That's holistic medicine, right? Well, I, I do remember to, to go off tangent just a second. I do remember an episode of the of the X Files where um, it's about Mulder and Scully going to a they're they're trying to solve a murder at a, uh, a circus and uh, the sheriff there used to be a uh, a wolf boy and uh, he actually uh, plants a potato in the ground and um, Mulder picks it up and says well you know you're why are you planting this, this half cut potato he's like well you go out. While it's midnight, when the the moon is full, and you rub a potato on your warts, and it gets rid of the warts. Oh, so, so yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe she was uh, ahead of her time. Oh, I don't know. You got a real answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe maybe the moon. She, the, I don't know. <laughs> the moon was out, so you put the soup on it, and you're fine. But uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, I'm going to put asterisks on this conversation. Anybody listening to this, please do not put soup on open wounds or, or blisters. No. And if you do, no. do not sue us because it's probably not good medicine. Yeah. <laughs> it is tasty medicine, but not good medicine. Yeah. 
All right. So, like I said, there's not much plot here. Let's uh, Sorry, blow please, through the please. rest of this here because we, we have a lot of uh, robot action to get to here. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, robot action. So, as she's looking at all the uh, all the lesions on her skin and everything, all the blisters, she ends up, uh, she hears the robot again and she grabs what looked like a big spoon. I don't know if it was a shovel it or was a spoon. spoon of some sort. Yeah. Spoon? Yeah, spoon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a big spoon. But yeah, oh, she yeah. goes. Uh, credit to her, she goes out and starts looking for it to go attack it. And yeah. uh, and she, this was the music cue that I was loving. It's like that out of tune uh, violin that kept oh, coming. I love in. that. Yeah, oh. yeah. With her walking around by candlelight with that big spoon and uh, just that out of tune violin, it, that thing. Which they, which they brought back, which they brought back for that uh, segment and. Twilight Zone the movie with Lithgow. It's all through it up that that segment in the movie. It's, oh, uh, it's very what, nice. It terrifies me that that sound of attitude. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, yeah it's like maybe I'm gonna change my ringtone again. There you go. <laughs> like yeah. possibly. Yeah. So she uh, she opens the one door into the other room and the the robot stand there. She ends up as she's kind of running away from it or trying to hit it. She ends up knocking a candle over and. Uh, it's, it's just her like screaming, and I think is that where we go to the next commercial break? It's hard to say. Like it just um, so this episode it, there's there's no downtime. However, it, it talking about it because since there's no dialogue to kind of hang your hat on, it is her going through this very small like farmhouse cabin thing and trying to a determine what's going on and b how to fight these things. And so you have the the, the her with the big spoon going underneath the bed. And then there's also a point where she walks near a fireplace that also has a trap door and how she walks into the shot, like, and then how the camera moves. And one of these things is now holding the knife that, um, that she had used earlier that, um, maybe they, they hinted that the, the knife was missing. I think they did. Uh, yeah, they, they, do. Yeah. they do. Sorry. Yeah. I don't mean to, to ruin well, that. She, she yeah. goes to open the door. No, she goes, to, she goes to open the door and the knife comes out at the same time as her opening the door, but she gets her hand cut. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you get the idea that this thing took the knife from it. And when it when it actually went across her hand, I freaked out because that is that is one of those things I never want to experience. Like is getting a knife on the palm of your no. hand. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and it it was a it was a good little jump scare. Like yeah. I didn't it expect is. it when it came out. Like it was really effective. Yeah. Um I agree. And then and then whenever yeah. later when she steps near the trap door and that one the one's there holding the knife and goes against her foot. That that freaked me out as well. Like it was very effective, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, so she's just trying to find these things and try to figure out what's going on and also combat them. Um, not to speed. Through, I guess I'm going to speed through this a little bit. She ends up grabbing. Yeah, one it's of them. fine. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, her getting attacked. Yeah, she screams, runs away, and then tries to find them again with a new weapon. <laughs> At one point, she gets an axe, yeah. which is awesome. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's pl- plus two to robot damage. But uh, so she um. She goes towards the bed, and that's also <laughs> something too, where she's putting the like the the spoon thing under the bed or whatever. And there's one underneath the covers, and it's moving. And I think it's the one that has the knife because she picks it up and wraps it up in the blanket, and it tries to stab through, which is also very terrifying. She gets the knife away, and then she beats it against the table, which I respect. <laughs> and it's straight cave woman like. It's very cool. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like not in my house, and she's just beating this thing, you know. 
And it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very it's very much Jason Voorhees with the uh, the sleeping bag against the tree, and I sleeping appreciate bag. it. Yeah. <laughs> Good pull there. And then she yeah, uh, so she yeah, she ends up throwing it in a box and tossing <laughs> it into the fire. Yeah, love it. Yeah. So then, um, great. yeah. So then she eventually, with the axe, she ends up going to. She goes back up to to the rooftop where the UFO is, and she's like, you know what, f this, and she just starts hitting it with the axe, and that's where the twist happens, where yeah. it starts emitting a noise, and then it starts emitting English, and you hear yeah. a stress signal, and it's basically saying, hey, uh, Grissom's dead. This is a world of giants. Don't counterattack. We can't handle it. Do not counterattack. Basically saying we're screwed. She's beating us with an axe. Don't come near us. And she looks down <laughs> and um and she and she sees though she can't read it but the audience can, I'm sure, where it says US Air Force space something. I forget what it says exactly. But you know they, Yeah, space probe number 1. Space probe number yeah. 1. Um, and you know that then now that the, the robots aren't really robots, they're humans in these uh, inflated suits, and they were trying to lay siege to a farmhouse, who knows where, and, you know, they were just basically like, don't come near here, there's crazy giant women, and that was the, yes. that was so, the end of the episode. So, the second cast member that I teased yes. at the beginning, uh, the voice of the astronaut that you hear as he's attacking the space probe. Uh, since it's not unidentified anymore, uh, is director Douglas Hayes. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah that was awesome. him lending his uh, voice talents, which he does a good enough job, I guess. He does. It's perfectly <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah. And he also he does... Like a man of his time. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. also did a, a majority of the puppeteering for um, the Spacemen, by the way. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah, very was... eerie... It's a very eerie way they walk. Like it, That scene where one of them comes out of the shadow un- onto the window seal, it's very creepy yeah the way they did it i guess they all just dressed in black and they had it, i guess they're just puppets they just stick their hands into mm-hmm. and uh would just move them like that so it's a real primitive way to do the effects but i you know there's a lot of people that talk about how goofy those things are but i i think it was fairly effective oh yeah well, i think so too man yeah well and then and then hayes admitted that he could do one of two things with it whenever they he could either control the legs or control the arms. He couldn't do both because the way the things were so small and he had to put his hand in them. So he yeah. had to figure out a way to make them mobile, but then also <laughs> kind of, and he also had like that little Christmas light hooked up to a battery with a wire that he could like, you know, fire off at will. And it's a, it's a little stilted, but he, the decision that was made for this was they could have made, um, oversized sets and had actors reacting to her and somehow sure. matched action or did some type of like green screen, not green screen, um, uh, whatever the technology at the time was, which we know, if we remember from Mirror Image, was terrible. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad that he made the decision that he wanted Agnes Moorhead to be able to react to what was going on around her. And even if yeah. the, the puppets... That's more yeah. important than yeah. the, the puppets. You know, at the end of yeah. the day, those are just storytelling devices. Like, I, mean, I want to the- see the performance from Agnes Moorhead. Like, that's what's yeah. selling this. Yeah, I mean, even if the puppets are stilted, I mean, for me, uh, when I watch it, <clears throat> it, it makes more sense to me. It makes sense to me to, to think that the, I don't know what the gravity is like here, or what the atmosphere is here on this planet. I mean, yeah, maybe if you walk a little slower, maybe your suit's a little heavier since, you know, during due to the atmosphere or due to the gravity, you know, the way the gravity is there. So it makes sense to me that they would walk that way. And plus, you know, they're in the Twilight Zone. So, I mean, it, it just... You know, 
anything yeah, is fine. possible there. So yeah, it's like, that's, you know, that's my favorite apology on this. Like whenever yeah. something's weird, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's Twilight Zone. It's fine. <laughs> well, I like the idea that like, guy smoking a cigarette, you know, bringing in the, sh- the episode to make. Yeah. How did Rod Serling get on the planet? Wait, wait, Twilight he, Zone. Is he a giant? Is that really what we found out? Exactly. Now? <laughs> <laughs> and his cigarettes are huge. Um, but uh, so, but when Hayes Hayes is the one that actually came up with the design for the creatures, which were what's creatures? Sorry, humans. Um, yeah. So he he based it off the Michelin Man because he wanted something a little bit inflated, a little bit exaggerated. So that way, when you see it initially, you don't think human, but then when you find out it's actually humans inside and it's a space program type thing, he's like, the people will be like, oh, well, that makes sense. And that is really smart. Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot of stuff that makes sense. You know, um, I was talking about her not speaking the entire thing and how it makes sense to being alone, being isolated, like you wouldn't speak. But when you find out that she's not even human. The fact that she's not speaking at all and she's making these like grunting noises and everything uh, makes it even more impressive. Yeah. Like, yeah. As, as far as storytelling, like it, it's yeah. just everything when you get to the twist in this. And um, I, I kind of tip my hat at this is very close to another Matheson episode, the uh, third from the sun, which Serling adapted that short story into a teleplay. But it's a very similar twist where you think you're watching humans the whole time. Turns out they're the aliens. Um, yeah. I think the payoff in this one, as far as going back and watching it again and knowing what the twist is, uh, this is a much smarter and much more well done episode leading up to that twist Absolutely. and the payoff. I agree. So, but that might be the difference between uh, Matheson getting a stab at this kind of twist rather than Serling doing an adaptation of one of his stories. Maybe Matheson just had a little bit tighter grip on what he wanted as far as that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, this is like, oh. like I said, I knew I w- watching it, I knew going in what the twist was, unfortunately, just because it's just kind of one of those ones that you find out, like, for goodness sakes, like, when uh, when my wife bought me the will the Bill Shatner figure from uh, uh, Nick of Time, you look on the back. There's all these different figures you can buy, and one of them is the little spaceman from this episode. And it's like you, it, yeah. it has a following, right? Um, so I try to put myself yeah. in the mindset of like she doesn't know what this is, and and I can I can only imagine being like you know like you know a teenager like early teens watching this on a Friday night, and then my brain just melts when it hits, you know like. Like, this is a trick that the Twilight Zone's pulled before, but this one is the biggest sleight of hand. Like, it, it is um, it is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for That's sure. One of my favorite, one of my favorite twists, for sure. It's, it's a great, I think it's a twist that really holds up to this day. Yeah, this whole episode. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting. Apparently, um, I didn't really touch on this when we mentioned Mathis in the beginning. He wanted to do this as more of like a devil doll episode or something. Yeah. And the producers thought that that was a little too dark. So he took it and turned it into what it is in this episode. Um, he ended up taking a stab, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> in doing this story again in 1969. He wrote a short story for Playboy called Prey. And it involved an uh, African uh, hunting fetish doll that chased around a girl in her apartment. For oh, the entirety of the story, yeah. and uh, if if you're a fan of uh, horror Trilogy cinema of and uh, yeah, yeah Trilogy of Terror, 
they ended up turning that story into the third segment that Serling oh. actually wrote that screenplay to. So uh, the segment Amelia is based on Prey, which was initially based on this teleplay that Sir, um, Matheson did. Wow, do you blew my mind? So <laughs> yeah, awesome. in the in the story, um, which I I actually think that Prey. Um, he kind of nails some of the uh, undertones a little bit better in that, and it's uh, the characters are a little bit more realized. The twist isn't as goofy as this. Like I, I, like I said, I think this is a great twist and everything, but it's it's of its time, you know, like sure. the whole alien thing. Like this, this is space race, Cold War, uh, Twilight yeah. Zone fair, you know. But w- we get into like family and what it is like humans at fault. Like we are both prey and being hunted at the same time or uh, being prey and the hunter at the same time. Like he gets into some very dark, deep psychological stuff in a very short story in that. Um, but it, he pulls a lot of the same gags. Like there's the whole uh, kitchen knife missing thing <laughs> and the doll yeah. actually gets the knife. Like all yeah. of that stuff is, is set up and paid off almost exactly to this episode. Um, wow! But I, I highly recommend going back and reading that story. And if you haven't watched the trilogy of terror movie, it's all Matheson stories. Um, yeah, it's all awesome and, too. Yeah, right. and it's Karen Black in each one, and her performances yeah. are incredible in each in each story. Even the second one, she's amazing. She's like playing two characters. It's, she's awesome. It's yeah, it's yeah, it's a fantastic movie. So it kind of blew my mind when I was watching this, and I saw that he tackled this again in Prey. I didn't realize that that was the trilogy of terror story too. So That's I went so cool, man. A whole, yeah, I read the short story and then went back and uh, pulled trilogy of terror off my shelf. Ended up watching that segment again today. Like I, it, that's a great thing. I love about the strange highway show. Like I never know where the research and stuff is going to take me. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, for sure. So. so Matheson didn't care for this episode a whole lot. Cause he said that uh, he felt like the beginning was too slow. He's like, we should have just gotten to the UFO from the start. He's like, it felt like it was too much time wasted at the beginning. He also didn't like how goofy looking, his words, uh, that the, the spacemen were. He wanted these things always kind of out of the corner of your eye, you know. And I can see why from a writing standpoint you'd want that because it's much better to have your imagination like put it together. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, how do you tell that story? And it's the same thing that happened with... um, uh, um uh, the, the the devil one. What would you just told me that you said the name the of earlier? The Howling Man. Um, mm-hmm. like how he had this whole segment written with that. And even though you like that episode more than myself, the 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 reveal and the transformation, you know, works visually much better than what he wanted from a storytelling standpoint. So I could I could understand where he comes from from this, and I, I like that he kind of was like, you know what, I'm going to give this a second take and then do this for the trilogy of terror and do it the way I want. And that's fine, sure. you know, but I could also see like, you know, but this is one of those ones that people look back on and they like a lot. So like ultimately, how poor were the decisions that begin like, you know, at ultimately they weren't that poor. It's just that it was just a matter of um of a of opinion, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and he he got to make the version he wanted to make, you know, later on. So and both versions I I think are incredible for different reasons. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I just I love this episode. I I love any episode that kind of sub, uh, the subversion of your main character, where you, you're kind of expecting one thing. You you think you know 
who the protagonists and antagonists are in the episode and they kind of flip it on their head. Yeah. Like I, it, it's always one thing I love in film and in uh, storytelling in general. And this one not only subverts the characters and your relationship with them, but I, I, I was sitting there trying to pull subtext out of it because Matheson, you know, there's, there's a lot of social commentary that he drops in and sure, hence yeah. the reason why he got along with Serling and, uh, they work together on Twilight Zone because they had similar uh, mind frames of Jeez. like you should use sci-fi and storytelling to tell a greater message within. Um, so I'm sitting there trying to think of it, and I'm you know the whole episode, and I'm like, well, it's kind of like technology in modern time is creeping in, and she's terrified of it, and she doesn't want to change and everything. But when that twist happens, like it, it turns that on its head, and it took me a while to really wrap my head around like what I think is going on. I don't know if this is actually what Sterling or uh, Matheson was trying to do at the time, but you know, we're in the middle of cold war here when this episode came out and probably when he wrote this teleplay. And you know, if, if you look in war, depending on where you are, you look like we're the good guys. They're the bad guys, you know, mm-hmm. like, and especially in the cold war, like we're the good guys, the, the Soviet union, they're bad, you know, Russia's bad. So, sure. But this one kind of takes that. It's like it's all a matter of perspective. And I think that's something that really rings true today, especially with like the uh, with Trump in office. Again, I hate getting political on the show, but it's for a point here, you know, with like the Muslim ban and everything where he paints a picture of like all these Muslim countries and everything as being these are the bad guys. We're the good guys. Like we have to stop all of that. And it's just like you've got to put yourself in a different perspective. And, you know, if you're on the flip side of it, it, it it's it's the other way around, you know, and it, I think this episode demonstrates that beautifully um, and using that kind of Cold War uh, setting of the time. It, I, I, I think it's incredible. So I don't know if that's exactly what Matheson was trying to do, but I think it's impossible for him to not be well, reflecting I, the times that it was written in, you know. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, you know, since it's Matheson. He definitely has much more to say about it. You're just being a sci-fi episode or a sci-fi screenplay. He had, he always had, he always had deeper things to say than just that. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion. I mean, <clears throat> I would say that in the trilogy of terror episode, he probably has more to say in that because he got, I guess that's what he got. He finally got to say what he wanted to say because, I mean, there's a lot, there are things you can be, you can dig into in the, ter- the uh, trilogy of terror episode. Yeah, in black. But I mean, this one. I mean, yeah. You, there are some things you can dig into, but I mean, with the terror, with the trilogy of terror episodes, it's, it's um, it's for me at least, it's more on. It's definitely up on Front Street for sure with Karen Black and her mother, um, uh, and and what they talk about and stuff like that, and about yeah. know, relationships and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and so. kind of like the doll ends up being the proxy for the mother almost, and like yeah, how we we attack and bring down the people we love and stuff. You know, it's just it it talks yeah. more on a personal. Uh, just uh, just human nature, I guess, in relationships rather than society as a whole, like this one does. So that's what sure. I mean when I when I said earlier that I think he kind of fine tunes some ideas when he goes back and writes the prey short story later on. Uh, but like I said, both are great for those reasons that keeps them different. You know, um, sure. Like I I can appreciate them both for different reasons. Well, Serling and Matheson, I'm sure Beaumont to a degree. They they yeah. were always yeah. quick to point out 
look, like, this is a lesson to be learned, and then to turn it to be like, this is what we're capable of, and this is how we can be seen. You know, and mm-hmm. that's it's always important to remove yourself from the first person perspective and realize that that your actions can be seen as, as something different. Like you, you find out in this episode that it's all about, uh, you know, ex- ex- exploration and a mission to find this other world, which, again, I don't know why they immediately came out, you know, uh, lights blazing towards this giant, but they yeah. did. But the whole idea was supposed to be this, you know, uh, altruistic idea of uh, searching worlds and finding life. And and it, and to this this woman in this farmhouse, it, th- this was life or death, you know. And and it kind of shows you yeah. like whenever you have the best of intentions, um, that doesn't always mean that your outcome is the best because you aren't considering the the other party involved. And I think that yeah, they, I you're think not, that's, you're not yeah. seeing the other perspective, and that's a, they're always quick yeah. to show you that, and I appreciate it's, it's that. Something talks about something talk about you know we're from a small you know. These creatures from a small blue planet, you know, it's it's um, there's much more in the galaxy than just this one small planet. You know, we don't know what's out there and how you know cultures are in different. There could be other cultures on different planets, you know, other than ours, and you know, other than going in and trying trying to dominate other planets, other nations, or whatever, other people's people. Um, you know, you should just try to get along. <laughs> yeah. So you guys ready for to blow your minds here over what's what's going on with this episode? Like just technically speaking, there's some pretty impressive things that happen in this episode. Uh, yeah. First, uh, sure. the, the, the first one, this isn't that impressive, but it's well, I guess to me it is the set design, the outfits, everything was not meant to invoke an individual style. They didn't want to speak to any particular time frame. They just wanted to show someone that had like, you know, had a, a house that was built that had like rudimentary tools like they didn't want like Douglas Hayes didn't want to speak to a time and place because the yeah, like, which is perfect, which like in third from the sun, they decorated it to look almost unearthly. Yeah. I remember talking about the set dressing on that where everything was very like postmodern and almost futuristic looking in the house. And uh, this one's like the exact opposite where they're not tipping their hat to anything. Yeah. So actually, there, there's yeah. two things. So, um, so the second thing is about the lighting because you talk about like the candle being tipped over, the lantern going out, and her shifting from room to room. That wasn't from her light source independently. It was actually a series of dimmer switches manned by a number of different people that were on cue to turn on and turn off lights as she moved around the set. And oh, it's right. it's amazing because you think about it now, and we can shoot. Because we have the technology to shoot in low light situations, but then it wasn't. And the the guy who was in charge of all that, he's like, "How can you get the effect of a, of a lantern going out or a fire burning or a candle lighting a room?" And so it was him and a, like uh, all these other people that were like they rehearsed it. So whenever she knocked over the lamp, like the lights just went out, and it was very, it's like you, it, it works so well you don't think about it. But if you go back and watch yeah. a second time and realize that there was like probably half a dozen people, if not more, all by switches and watching her, it's really impressive. And I, yeah. I, it's I, like, I, um, yeah, it's like Halloween. Um, in, in Carpenter's Halloween, where he had like every, he had all these crew members sitting in behind walls and corners and stuff, walking talkies while the camera walked through the house. <laughs> right. Very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. And then well, it, it's so funny, like, because we've talked about so many Douglas Hayes episodes and. You watch it, and it seems so simple nowadays. Like, just the light something, yeah. you know, just the move of a camera around. Like, it just seems so simple. 
But when you actually think about how they would have had to do it back then, like it becomes so incredibly complex. It's so impressive what he was able to accomplish on the episodes he did. And I'm so sad. This is the last time we get to right? talk about Douglas Hayes. And so here's the third fact. This is more for Kevin just because this will just break his heart. So, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Total yeah, production costs. Note here. Yeah, total production costs <laughs> on this episode between this and the whole truth was less than a thousand dollars. Wow. So the whole truth costs a little less. We're talking a difference of a thousand dollars, even in nineteen sixty one, and you get you get this versus that, and and it, what it really comes down to is script, idea, and director, right? And, and it just yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I and I know that the whole truth wasn't intending to be the invaders. I get that it was more lighthearted and. And, and Mr. Beavis may you rot in hell. I get all that. It's fine, you know, but um, <laughs> it just shows you that it isn't a matter of price. You can, if you have the, the, the right idea and the right approach, you can make something just spectacular. Yeah. And I mean, how many episodes have we talked about that? Like, uh, where it's just basically two characters in one room, you know, or something yeah. like that, or one character in one room, and you, you get uh, you get something that's better than when they have the biggest budget and they have uh, big name actors, you know, it's just like a good idea and uh, inventive uh, technique will always end up winning. Yeah, absolutely. So Agreed. So yeah, 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 people that are dedicated to the source material and it's obvious that um, the director and the actress are very dedicated to what they are doing in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And and Serling just letting uh, other writers come in and really just yes. let them take the reins. I'm pretty like sure it was the man. He, he, we'll never get. I don't think we'll ever get a Sterling again. Yeah, so. yeah, no, yeah. Rod Serling, just uh, one of a kind. I'm pretty uh, sure I read somewhere that this was his favorite like episode of the series that he didn't write. I, I think that I think I read that as I was going through my materials, and that makes sense. I think he, I, I think it. he appreciates just the difference of how this is presented. I think he appreciates like what they were going for, and then also like the twist, like like this. It's almost one of those things where you see it, you're like, "God damn it! Why didn't I think of that?" It's so, it's so simple, but not. And I think he really appreciated that. Yeah, I I, I, I don't know if you guys ever watched this before. I think it's a two part or a three part interview from the mid mid seventies. I think with Sterling, it's on YouTube. I think I watched it on there a couple months ago. But Sterling is so like. Um, <clears throat> he he has no problem, you know, saying that you know these people are better writers. I I like to, you know, I, I didn't come up with this. You know, I learned I I learned this from a much better writer. I got these ideas from a be- much better person. You know, stuff like that. He, he was very, um, yeah, he, he, was, he's he, very he was a good dude. Yeah, he he was, he was very honest, honest about like his guy. work. Because even when some of his uh, yeah his episodes would fail he would be the first one like yeah right they would go to him and he would just be like yeah it wasn't yeah. my best work like sorry <laughs> like, okay. he was very honest about his work which is uh it, it's a rare thing it's a very rare thing yeah so i i really don't have too much else as far as notes i don't know if you guys have anything else you want to touch on in the episode before we rate the twist here I mean, other than Agnes Moorhead, she actually approached this like she wanted to play it like an animal under attack. 
And once you hear that, it makes perfect sense because she, yeah. like I said, she, yeah. you know exactly what she's thinking as she's going along. And just the, just the the various ways she plays everything is so good. And it's like, it's so powerful. Yeah. And a lesser performer would have made this into, it would have been comedic. And she makes it visceral. And you really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Cool. So you guys want to get to the twist here? Yeah, let's do it. Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> All right, I'm just gonna go ahead and ruin it and just say I'm gonna give this a five out of five out of uh, I, I don't know if we're doing if we're doing cigarettes anymore or just twists or whatever. It's five out of five. Had I not known it was humans at the beginning, I would have just been like, "God damn it, my world's done." Like that would have been I would have been done for like a while. It was it was very it didn't it didn't tip its hand until the very end, and I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I I pretty much agree. It's hard because, like you said, this this episode has been so ingrained into pop culture. It's one that I've seen before, so it's it's hard to sit there knowing the twist and just and just having that ingrained in my mind. It's hard to really think of it on its own merits. But as we're talking about it and how everything pays off and everything really leans into that twist, and it just it's it, it's so solid i i think i have to go five so jeremy what do you think yeah i have to go five as well i mean you know, watching this episode last night rewatching it with my uh wife and having her seeing her expressions the expression on her face after she's you know seeing the spaceship and seeing that it's the uss probe number one she looked over and gave me this smile like this is really good like this is, <laughs> this is a, a very good twist and uh, it's it's held up for me ever since the first time I saw it, um, you know, back when I was way younger. Um, and you know, just knowing that you know, you can you can for me, you know, you can really tell like all the heart and soul is put into this episode. I mean, they they really, you know, they they really put down everything on the line, and uh, it's a it's a fantastic twist. And um, you know, you got a great you got a great director, but you got a really great actor pulling this thing together and, and pulling it all through. I mean, it just it's 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 one of the, the perfect ones. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those episodes where, you know, we talk about that Twilight Zone A team where you just get the best of the best working and uh yeah. it all just comes together perfectly. And this is one of those examples where you just have one of the best sci fi writers of all time. Uh incredible actress, uh one of the best, if not the best director uh, that worked on the Twilight Zone as far as like setting what we think of the Twilight Zone, like what we think going forward. And when you look back on it, like his vision and his stylistic choices that he made on those episodes, uh, they carry through the entire series. So it's just one of those ones where we just have the perfect matchup of people working behind the scenes and in front of the camera. So, Great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I it's, so. not to speak, just I mean, I don't want to uh, beat a dead horse because that's what I'm doing, but I, I do that often. Um, I just it, it's it's inherent that as we as viewers of a TV show or a film or whatever media, we always identify with the main character in terms of like their experiences, what's going on. And in a way, she is an unreliable narrator because we just assume that she's a human the entire yeah. time. Sure. And it is like and I know that's an obvious statement, but I think it's important to mention that like we're viewing the whole lens of everything through her 
So then when you get to the end, that's why I think it's a sledgehammer because it's like we identify with her and then the, the realize that we should be identifying with them. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's very. It's well, just, and that's why I yeah. said that subversion of yeah. your relationship with the character. Like it, it, I love when things do that, and this pulls it off beautifully. Absolutely. So, yeah, good episode. Like I said, I, even though I knew the ending coming in, just because it's kind of one of those like things that you can't get away from, I was surprised at the high quality throughout, and the suspense, and how much I freaked out at the blistering and the knife across the hand and across the foot. Um, <laughs> I will never, ever, ever be happy with a knife across the hand or the foot. Um, Pet Cemetery will always bother me with a knife across <laughs> the oh, Achilles Hills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it could have been Gage and one of those little robot guys, and I would have been like, that's it, I'm done. I'm done with life. But yeah, it's a, it's a um, really, really, really good episode, and it's going to be up there. Like, when, when we get to the end of the whole series, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure this marks the one-third mark, the one-third of the series that we're at. So we got two-thirds to go. When we get to the very well, end, this is going to be one of those ones that we're going to remember. Yeah. Well, sure. we got to hurry up because uh, I guess they officially greenlit the uh, <laughs> Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. So we got to catch up so we can do that live. Yeah, right. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that pretty much does yep. it. Jeremy, thank you so much again for coming on. Yeah, I'm good. so happy we finally got to do this. Um, thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, let people know where they can find you. Uh, well, you can go to, you can, if you're on Facebook, you can just go to Cabal Corner and, um, you know, ask to join the group and we're going to let you in. We got, we got three administrators. They're all good dudes and, you know, good people when they know them and, uh, let them in. And we, we have no, <clears throat> we don't have a, a, a set schedule. We just do an episode whenever we kind of feel like it. So, uh, whatever comes out, comes out. But, um, uh, if you want to know where to find us, like on iTunes, um, you know, just shoot me a message on instant messenger and I'll let you guys know. No problem. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of different because it's not on a computer. Uh, so we use a different kind of app to uh, Jeff uses a different kind of app to put it onto iTunes. So it's a little more raw and kind of underground. So you just let me know and I'll let you guys in. We talk about movies and beer and life and, you know comics and all that stuff so yeah no I'll, I'll vouch for it it's a fun show um all the guys on it are really good dudes and it's like hanging out at your buddy's house on a saturday night just shooting the shit drinking a beer and talking about movies and uh yeah i again we had uh mars from trick or treat radio on not too long ago and i was kind of talking to him about his facebook group and everything because they run a great facebook group over there but cabal oh, corner yeah. too like the internet can be a nasty place sometimes, but what? there are those couple groups. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to break the to you, Paul. Yeah. Uh, you know, but those couple groups on Facebook, like some of the nicest people I've ever met. And I mean, I've, I've made so many friends just through like Cabal Corner and Trick or Treat Radio. So it's it, it's a really good time. So I, I recommend people definitely check out the show. Um, Thanks, man. I'm, pr- yeah. I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I don't, I don't really hear anybody's opinion really on the group i just i see everybody yes. having a good time and i don't really say too much about it so i kind of trust everybody to just be good and have a good time and uh you know yeah i kind of well, i started the group so you know i want to make sure everybody's friends and i i i pretty sure i added you pretty early so you know yeah you've been you've been there in the group kind of from the start so yeah um 
Oh, was it? Was I gonna say? It totally slipped my mind <laughs> now. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I mean, all okay. I do, all I do is read YouTube comments. Is that bad? Is that really like? <laughs> <funny? laughs> no, 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 no. We we did do um, before the season weapon dot commentary. We did we actually did do a like three hour episode on like the first three part of the age splits, which I guess it wow. it kind of works with Strange Highways since Sterling did that screenplay for the first part of the age split. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, by the way, I'm really excited to check out the Lethal Weapon commentary. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be amazing. Um, so, uh, let me know what you think about that when you listen to it. I'll <laughs> yeah, be definitely. excited. Yeah. So, again, thank you so much for coming on. It was a long time coming. I'm glad we finally got to do it. So, thank you. Yeah. So, so um, Kevin, how can people find us? Yeah, that's what I was about to get to yeah. here. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Straight and Highways Podcast. Uh, join the conversation on there. Um, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us a voicemail, email, uh, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, we'll play it on the show if you want us to. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at Strange Highways Podcast. I will be updating that tonight after this because uh, I, I have my fancy smoking jacket on, so I figured I should post something. <laughs> um, there you go. And then if we're also available on iTunes, Stitcher, Satchel, Google Play. Pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, um, we are there. Um, so if you would subscribe and rate and review us, it would really help us out. Perfect. Did I miss anything? No, no. Um, <laughs> I I need to put like a checklist in front of me. <laughs> so every time I do this, because I feel like every time I do that, I miss something. <laughs> no, it's fine. So uh, next episode we have is uh, a pity for your thoughts, which also has a bewitched connection. So. Let me butcher Serling's uh, uh, intro for, or tease for this episode. Um, all right, so bear with me here. <clears throat> Next week on this very spot, there commences a very kooky chain of occurrences. The story has to do with a young bank clerk who has some explained and most uncanny reason, uh, sorry, for some explained, unexplained and most uncanny reason, finds himself able to read others' minds and then finds that the power could get him into a peck of trouble and a bushel of travail. Uh, our show is called A Penny for Your Thoughts. It'll be waiting for you next week on the Twilight Zone. It's kooky, like a camera that takes pictures of people falling out of windows. <laughs> he didn't write yeah. that. No, he didn't write that at the very end. I added that. So yeah, okay. it's a very kooky chain of occurrences. <laughs> so, but it'd be amazing. It's like I can read your mind right now, and what you you're gonna fall out a window. You don't know it yet, but that's what you're thinking about. So, all right. So. I- I'm yeah. really hoping uh, one day we're making that Hyperion jumping out of a window shirt. <laughs> happening. Uh, long live Hyperion. May you yeah, run on so. majestically. So, so yeah, that's going to do it uh, for us this week again. Uh, we, you know, we, we appreciate you coming on Jeremy. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, it was fun to talk about tiny men attacking a large woman. You know, that's what we had a blast. With. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so until next week, uh, watch out for giants. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and if you, if you do see giants, grab a kitchen knife because that seems to work really well. Mm-hmm.
Gresham is dead. Repeat, Gresham is dead. The ship's destroyed. Incredible race of giants here. Race of giants. No central control. No counterattack. Repeat, no counterattack. Too much for us. Too powerful. Stay away. Oh. Oh. Gresham and I, we're finished. Finished.